there's a lot of opportunities that come with AI, uh, with recommender systems, with search engines, and it's not all scary algorithms. We're recommending humans. You're recommending potential next career steps for people. It's kind of much more impactful than recommending the next product for an Amazon visitor to Dubai. We feel very strongly about using technology such as recommended systems as supporting the human process, but never to replace it. And then for our talent recommender, we have actually a tree-based uh, model. It's a binary classifier, uh, aka a point-wise learning to rank approach, where we train the model based on historic placements. And here the input is always a talent vacancy pair. And for a talent vacancy pair, we try to predict a match or no match, and then we use the confidence score of that uh, decision to rank our candidates. So one of our responsibilities as a market leader is also to kind of look at this recommendation job, uh, not necessarily as a transactional job, but also as something to help our talents. So we're now also looking into career path prediction and kind of trying to recommend someone's next step as opposed to just trying to recommend the job that someone is able to do. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Experts. In this episode, it will be everything about recommender systems in the human resources HR domain. And we are going to talk about job recommendation, candidate and job matching, how we can support human recruiters with recommender systems. We are going to talk about the role of fairness in the HR domain, very important things to consider, especially given biases that we see in automated, but also in human curated systems. And for this episode, I'm very delighted to have David Raus on my show, who is my guest for today's episode. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, Marcel. Thank you for having me. I'm also delighted to be here. David is from the Netherlands. He is the data science chapter lead at Randstad Group Netherlands, which provides HR services to clients worldwide. David has spent his bachelor and his master's on the media studies domain, and he obtained his PhD from the University of Amsterdam, where he has done research on information retrieval under the supervision of Martin de Rijke. After his PhD, David worked on news personalization before switching to recommender systems in HR. He was co-organizer of the Orexis HR workshop that took place for the very first time in 2021 and was also again held in conjunction with the Orexis 2022 as of last month or as of September. He was also the general co-organizer of the Orexis in 2021. And to no surprise, he has many papers to the Rexus conference, to SIGIR, ECIR, and UMAP. And in addition, David, and I think that this is something that you are also proud of, that you are very active in the area of responsible AI. True, I am. I think in the domain where I currently work, uh, responsible AI is a very important topic as we're recommending 
jobs to people. Uh, we're building recommender systems that have quite a direct impact on people's lives. Uh, so I think it's important to be responsible about it. During the preparation of today's show, I was also consulting your well-curated personal website. <laughs> And uh, I saw the subtitle and I found it quite interesting. Maybe you could elaborate a bit on it because it says in defense of algorithms. Yes. So what do you mean by it? Well, uh, this uh, still comes from my, uh, my um, militant youth or, well, uh, youth, I shouldn't say. But I, I can tell you a bit about it. So when I started my PhD at the University of Amsterdam, This was at the time where the debate around the filter bubble was very present in popular media. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to my first SIGIR and going to my first ECIR and actually seeing that uh, in academia, everyone was working on diversity of, of uh, uh, search engine results, diversity in recommendations. And I, I saw that there was this big mismatch between the public perception of algorithms and kind of what was, what was happening in academia. Mm -hmm. um, so I started publishing about it. Uh, I wrote a small opinion article with my supervisor, with uh, Martin de Rijke. Um, and it was kind of in, in the first years of my PhD, I was, I was trying to kind of bring forth this narrative of actually responsible AI and of the fact that there's a lot of opportunities that come with AI, uh, with recommender systems, mm -hmm. with search engines, and it's not all scary algorithms. Therefore, you call yourself a defender of algorithms because it's not like they would automatically hurt because they are automated, because they are, let's say, cold since they are not humans, but that they could also help or models in the machine learning domain and those algorithms applied there. They somehow resemble what's already in the data. So, and what's already in the data might be already a result of human biases or human unfairness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so now we're getting uh, right in the middle of the of, uh, actually the <laughs> type of work that I'm, that I'm currently working on. So, uh -huh. yes, I think it is very important to understand that this bias exists usually in data, in systems, but it's also important to understand the context. And that's what we see happening currently at Randstad, where we're building recommender systems for uh, matching uh, job seekers to jobs. It's very important to understand that this recommender system is but one component in a bigger pipeline that contains bias. So the world is organized mm -hmm. in a certain way, which, which can be considered fair or balanced according to different uh, uh, definitions that you may have. And a subset of that world can be in our candidate pool, in our, in our database, which will serve as input for training recommender systems, for doing scoring on candidates. That scoring of candidates will serve as input to a human decision maker, typically a recruiter, mm -hmm. uh, that decides which candidate to invite or not. Then again, in our scenario, usually the recruiter reaches out to the client, shows these uh, profiles again. There's another human decision making process. So kind of if you look at the whole flow from start to finish, there's many different decision moments. There's many different types of biases. And I think it's important to understand how a recommender system operates in that context. Yeah, definitely agree. Maybe as a starter, can you walk our listeners through your Rexus journey? So when did your Rexus or your interest in Rexus start and how did you develop your interest? Yeah, definitely. So like you said, and like I mentioned before, I did my PhD in information retrieval. This was slightly before the era that, uh, that what is it, 80% of all CIR papers were about recommender systems, but still, uh, <laughs> there were plenty of recommender systems papers out there. Mm -hmm. The domain interested me greatly, but back then my PhD was mostly in semantic search, so I was working on slightly different problems. 
after my PhD, when I decided to pursue a career in industry, uh, I ended up with a media company, uh, the FD Media Group, mostly because this was a great combination of my past. Uh, I did my bachelor's in media studies and, and then a PhD in information retrieval. So this was kind of a uh, position as a data scientist in a media company that kind of married my two uh, histories, which was, uh, which was great. <laughs> At that company, we actually um, got a Google DNI Digital News Initiative funded project around news personalization. And that meant that we had some some funding to set up a team and to start working on uh, on news recommendation mm-hmm. uh, in the context of an uh, of a uh, newspaper, a financial newspaper. So it was basically the right place at the right time for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, and well, working on it, I also realized that what I like about recommender systems is that these are one of the AI technologies that are most widely spread that are most widely used so they're the systems that really can make a big and direct impact and that applied to the newspaper that we were working for and it definitely applies in my current uh, context at Randstad where we work in HR and where actually this matching job that the recommender system is trained to do is is at the very core of our business. So is it that a widespread application of recommender systems, like you said, so we see them, especially in your domains like HR and news, but I mean, we have so many more domains like media, entertainment sector, e-commerce and so more. Mm -hmm. Is it about that widespread application of recommender systems or what else is there that interested you in that field or made you of, yes, this is what I, what I want to continue on even after after my PhD? Well, I think the technology is so widespread because it works. It quote-unquote works and it makes a direct impact. And I think it's always nice to work on projects that make impact, that make impact at scale. So I think that's <laughs> yeah. one of the exciting things. At the same time, what's also interesting about it is that they are decision support tools. They can help people find things. They can, you know, um, help people in their daily jobs. So, yeah, I think, I mean, it's just about impact. It's about being proven to work. Uh, that makes it exciting to work on this. Uh, at the same time, another aspect is that they can be quite complex when it uh, comes to building them to to uh, working with this large-scale data, with doing proper feature en- engineering. So there's plenty of uh, challenges involved, which is also, also nice. <laughs> okay, I understand. If I'm right, you started your journey with the FD Media Group in 2018, and then in 2020, you joined Randstad. So where was that point that you said, okay, I want to go into the HR domain? What was it that caught your interest there? Ah, that's a good question. So part of the answer is a very boring one. Uh, and I already told you, <laughs> uh, we had a uh, DNI funded project at uh, FD. The funding was finished at some point. The recommender system, thankfully, was productized. But at that point, uh, the organization had to decide, like, is this something, do we want to keep on investing in this or or uh, don't we? Actually, uh, what's an interesting part in the consideration of this organization was the expectation that the technology that we were developing would become commodity in a few years' time. Mm-hmm. Back then, I kind of agreed with the line of reasoning and I understood why for a smaller media company, it doesn't really make sense to really invest themselves in this uh, large-scale recommender systems team. But I do have to uh, observe now that I, I don't really think that we're at the stage yet where recommender systems technology is really commodity. We're still building lots of uh, tailor-made systems, I think. 
Yeah, I guess this also relates somehow to the interview we had last time where we had Leanne and Robin from uh, Frumel with us and were actually also talking about this that for certain domains, you could perceive it as becoming commodity. But somehow um, the great invest that many companies do in this field also proves a bit that tailoring solutions you really want to become, let's say, best performer in this field goes a bit beyond commodity or using commodity stuff. And then, of course, on the other hand, you want to earn somehow the benefits of what you invest. So yeah. I guess it's a hard decision to make here. Yeah, but um, but I would also not support the claim that Rexus in general becomes commodity. I mean, it might become somewhere, somewhere but um, it's just maybe too specific in certain domains. Yeah. And I think what you said is definitely true that you'll have diminishing returns. So probably with mm -hmm. commodity technology, you'll get to the first 80%. But as soon as you want to get more out of it, probably you'll have to invest a bit more. Anyway, like I said, that was uh, part of the, the boring uh, answer to the question. Uh, <laughs> so is there a more interesting part? <laughs> there's an interesting part as well. So actually, there was a position available uh, at Randstad and I um, started uh, talking with the people here. And only then I started realizing that actually this domain of HR, which initially didn't attract me at all, but makes for a very interesting context for doing recommender systems because you work with humans. I mean, we're recommending humans. You're recommending potential next career steps for people. It's kind of much more impactful than recommending the next product for an Amazon and uh, Amazon business. <laughs> Yeah, it can impact your life much more significantly, I guess. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So from that perspective, it's uh, it, it was quite interesting to me. At the same time, there's also a lot of uh, technical challenges there. I mean, we're dealing with this cold start problem. New vacancies are published all the time. We want to start recommending them mm -hmm. as soon as possible. There's also this challenge of the delayed feedback. So our like uh, ultimate signal is an actual placement of a candidate in a position that may take days or weeks before we have that type of feedback. But if it was the real job for the right person, might take years to turn out, right? This is true. This is true. But maybe uh, that's a nice bridge for me to give a bit more context about Zandstad. Yes, please go ahead. Yeah, so we're, we're a HR service provider. We are actually the global leader in uh, HR services, the, the world's largest. Mm -hmm. And we work mostly in the staffing industry. And staffing industry is different from your typical recruiting that you may have in mind. These are not the recruiters that uh, harass you in your LinkedIn inbox. We're mostly working on different type of work. So staffing is focusing on recruiting candidates for manufacturing, logistics and administrative jobs. Typically, they're a bit uh, less long term. So it's, it's a bit different from maybe the, the kind of recruitment that you're envisioning. Mm -hmm. So is it somehow that you have some more temporary jobs and some more long-term jobs that you are recommending candidates for? Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely uh, lots of temporary staffing in there. There's also still permanent placements and also Randstad operates a lot in the, in the professionals market. So we do also the, the, the longer term and uh, kind of more highly educated uh, careers. But the majority of our work is in staffing and that's also the recommended systems that uh, we've been working on are, are mostly tailored to. And it does make a small difference because it does mean that you can be a bit more a quote unquote transactional. So it, it can very well be that you can recommend a single talent uh, a few different uh, positions, uh, shorter term positions in a in a time span of a few months, for example. 
So what are your clients? I mean, are it both sides? So the organizations, the companies that engage you or that let you recruit or recommend candidates for them to hire? Or is it more about the job seekers, the candidates themselves? Or how do you see yourself there with respect to these two potential clients? So that's a great question. We see ourselves smack in the middle, like exactly between... Okay. The talents and clients. So indeed, clients are the companies that come to us that are looking to have positions filled. Um, and the talents are the, the job seekers that are looking for positions. And we see ourselves exactly in the middle. It's unfortunate that this is a podcast and I cannot show you this uh, visually, but in our annual report, we have a beautiful um, graphic that's called the, the butterfly. And the butterfly shows on the left-hand side all the different services that we provide to talents. On the right-hand side, all the different uh, services that we provide to clients. And in the middle, there's a circle that says match. And I think uh, that's the, the, the core of what we do. But with our show notes, we have plenty of opportunity to also reference more visual material. So I will make sure that we include this in the show notes so that everybody can look it up. Perfect. Talking about the talents, like you refer to job seekers or potential candidates and the clients on the other side, there is, I guess, a third group uh, which you could count as the stakeholders of your work in specific, which are the recruiters, right? True. Yeah. So they, they are not part of our uh, butterfly, uh, but definitely they are for one of the bigger recommender systems we built, they are the main end users. So now when, when we think about recommender systems, we always associate with it personalization. And now one could think about, uh, I have some job postings. These job postings contain certain requirements towards skills and something like that. And then you have information about your talents and you have recruiters that are kind of trying the matchmaking there. And where and how can a recommender systems help there? So can you outline the use case which you have identified at Randstad where you want or where you are already making use of recommender systems? Mm -hmm. Sure. So for our recruiters, we have our own IT system that they use for sourcing candidates. So for looking for specific candidates for a vacancy that they are uh, looking to fill. And in this IT system, there's several ways that uh, recruiters can find these candidates. So they can use a search engine, a simple search engine, type in a query, get a list of candidates, uh, and they can use our recommender system. So we have a custom recommender mm -hmm. system that, given the information for the vacancy, generates a small list of talents that our recommender system deems are relevant to that particular position. So the input is always the position, a vacancy. Yeah, I'm also thinking a bit about terminology because vacancy technically is a published job request and the recruiters work based on job requests. So a client requests a particular position to be filled. Mm -hmm. The recruiter inputs the information in the system and then is able to generate a list of recommendations. So if I were a recruiter at Randstad and I would start my working day, these are my positions that I'm responsible to fill. So I go to a certain job description, the first one on my list, mm -hmm. and I say, okay, now I want to get some candidates that we from an algorithmic point of view, deem as qualified for that position? So, or is it that I start searching first because I have a client on the phone who asked for something and I want to immediately tell them whether we might have someone qualified for the position or not? So 
how do recruiters actually interact with that system at what point and how is the system going to affect them before we go into the details yeah. of the system itself yeah that's a great question because i think it can differ a lot and and and, and differ per person that's also something we try to stress because we don't want to have too much reliance on a single system and what we see happening typically is that as Randstad we have lots of offices everywhere in the country so we have lots of uh, brick and mortar stores so to say that means that these are also touch points for job seekers to actually get in touch with Randstad so that's one way that recruiters actually source candidates it's by the top of mind candidates they have candidates they have met because they uh, came into the office there's another source that those are online applications so job seekers may actively apply online through our website to a certain specific position then there's indeed our talent database which can be searched and which a recommender system can recommend talents from so there's all these different sources and well indeed so like you said depending on whether you have a top of mind candidate available like um, you have a client that has a certain job request and you remember speaking to a candidate just two days ago who was looking for exactly this position that might mean that mm -hmm. you're you're not touching your search engine at all you're not touching the recommender system at all you just get in touch straight away with your candidate so different use cases determine different uses of the systems that we provide but whatever happens we always try to stress that the search and match are but complementary ways of sourcing your candidates. So you should always mm -hmm. uh, think about people that apply online. You should always think about candidates that you're you're in touch with, that you have uh, top of mind. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the recommender systems, they aim to support this process and not replace the searching or matching process of the recruiters that we have. Okay, so that means that in terms of use cases, we could identify at least two of them, which is the search and let's say the candidate proposal use case, where the first one is one where the rec recruiter becomes very active because the recruiter is responsible to formulate a proper query, which might consist of certain features that are typed into the system. And mm -hmm. then, of course, the system, which we are going, I guess, uh, to detail uh, in a minute, then returns the proper candidate. So a typical search case. And the second use case is the one where the system by itself, maybe due to some nightly batch process or some or online or something like that, mm -hmm. looks for candidates that are matching the requirements of a certain job request or vacancy. Apart from these these two use cases that I would say heavily involve the recruiter, are there also processes or use cases that leave the recruiters out of that process? So, because I'm, I'm I'm thinking about LinkedIn, and on LinkedIn I have that uh, jobs section, and of course there are LinkedIn recruiters mm -hmm. or people who use LinkedIn recruiting tools. But I can also look up jobs myself and apply for them. Is this also supported by your system? Yeah, definitely. How is the system interacting there? Yeah, so uh, actually these are two different systems. Uh, the first one we were detailing is what we call the talent recommender. It's a recommender system mm -hmm. that we have for our recruiters. Then we have the vacancy okay. recommender, and this is a recommender system that we have on, on the website, um, uh, which recommends vacancies to a particular talent. So when you're mm -hmm. logged into our website, then we ask you a few questions. What are you looking for? What's your work experience? Uh, what are your preferences in terms of salary, in terms of travel distance? And we use that to recommend a set of vacancies to you. Yeah. Given these two recommenders, so the talent versus the vacancy recommender system, can you share any things you have done there in the past and what you achieved? 
Sure, I can tell you a bit about them. So um, I can tell you that the vacancy recommender combines matrix factorization based on user interactions with a content-based model. Uh, and here the idea is that uh, we're dealing with this continuous cold start, so we cannot rely fully on matrix factorization. So we add a bit of content uh, on top. So your typical hybrid uh, recommender system approach. <laughs> and then for our talent recommender, we have actually a tree-based uh, model. It's a binary classifier. Uh, aka a pointwise learning to rank approach where we train the model based on historic placements and here the input is always a talent vacancy pair and for a talent vacancy pair we try to predict a match or no match and then we use the confidence score of that uh, decision to rank our candidates so it's very similar to the learning to rank scenario where you have a query document pair and you try to predict uh, whether or not uh, the document is relevant to the query with regards to the label for the talent recommender, where you said that yeah, you basically have a point-wise ranker, mm -hmm. how is that label actually determined? So when you say placement, uh, does this mean that the recruiter actually selected the candidate to be proposed to the client? Or is this actually like we also or you also track that the current or the actual talent has also signed a contract with the corresponding company so what kind of signal are you using to determine this label so it is the latter so the talent was proposed was accepted by the client was off the contract and actually signed the contract and, and had the placement we do have many more signals in our database so we have each touch point we have the moment that a recruiter looks at a profile we have the moment a recruiter decides to propose the talent to the clients, we have the moments, the interview is spent, etc. We currently don't use them, we just use the placements, but this is definitely something that we're starting to look into because the richness of the signals definitely, um, well, warrants to take a closer look at the usefulness of everything that happens before the actual placement. I understand so far that you have the hypothesis or have already proven it to a certain degree that this placement, so meaning signing the contract is currently kind of aligning in the best way of whether the client that you're finally working for is uh, being happy with your services so that this is also much more aligned with the long-term goals. So for example, might be um, maintaining long-term relationships with clients. Is this mm -hmm. kind of what you are reaching for or what would be the long-term goal? Or to put it in another way, you are also having this long-term reward problem. Mm -hmm. So can you relate to that in terms of that signal interpretation? Yeah, yeah. So I should say this is currently to our knowledge, the best signal that we have. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean it, it is the best. It also means, I mean, that's more of a philosophical or design question because I don't think our recommender system should be optimized to making this final prediction. Ideally, you would say this recommender system aims to support a recruiter as much as possible in servicing relevant candidates. So by that line of reasoning, you would say maybe we should focus more on signals that happen before this actual placement. Uh, at the same time, our first experiments here didn't necessarily show that that had good enough performance. So we still have, have a lot of work to do there, but it's more a question on how you, indeed, how you position your system. And I think what happens between the first recommendation and the actual placement is a long and fuzzy process. And it's a process that you mm -hmm. cannot fully capture in data, but I most importantly think it's a process that you shouldn't want to capture in data because a part may be very human factors a part may be uh you know a personality match between 
the hiring manager and the talent. There could be aspects there that are outside of the realm of our data, outside of the realm of our system that I, I don't think you should want to capture. Mm -hmm. But also actually factors that might bias the overall process. So, I mean, due to the fact that you are also having offices uh, quite around the world, people might also come to the office, talk to a recruiter and um, get a proper representation in the system. Mm -hmm. And then they might become the, uh, I guess you called them the top of mind candidates. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always nice. It's also, I guess, good to do as a, a person that is seeking for a job to make maintain a personal relationship with a recruiter to make a good impression because I guess this always counts but comparing this candidate to a candidate that just maybe let's say simply filled out a form on Randstad's uh, website to become part of the same pool as the first candidate uh, who was not able or not willing to kind of create or maintain that personal relationship mm -hmm. is this maybe already some potential source where human bias could arise from so maybe a recruiter might prefer the first candidate mm -hmm. due to the maintenance of a personal relationship which is not let's say or which should not judge on the job seekers ability to comply with the requirements of the job or what are your thoughts there so that's a thought-provoking question uh, yes that can definitely play a part i think what we try is to abstract away from that notion so in the end we try to represent the job seeker in terms of their suitability to that job so we take a few precautions there one is that we model the match between a vacancy and a job seeker in relative terms so that means we don't mm -hmm. have an explicit feature that models the education level of the talent we don't have an explicit feature that represents the location or the address of the talent But we have these relative features where we see whether the education matches with what's being requested for the vacancy. We model their address as the distance to the particular uh, client. Mm, I see. Um, so those are ways that we try to uh, kind of abstract away from this more fine-grained representation that I think you've been talking about. In the end, that aspect of the personal uh, relation that you may have with a recruiter that may help you uh, uh, in, in being placed, I think to a certain extent that can also be beneficial for the model because it means that mm -hmm. it's getting its labels, its uh, goals to optimize from outside of the system. And I think this kind of mm -hmm. avoids that feedback loop or that self-fulfilling prophecy because it may very well be that a placement happens completely outside of the realm of this system. The candidate may have never been recommended, but there are certain aspects to this talent that make them suitable for that job. So the recommended system should adapt to it, I think. I'm actually recalling the episode that uh, I had with uh, Olivier Jönen, uh, where we are talking about the difference between banded and organic feedback. So that process of a let's say, personal relationship of a seeker running into the agency and getting his or her job throughout that process might be more of an organic feedback. And what we are doing with our some kind of algorithmically supported matchmaking might be, of course, then more banded to what the very specific algorithm's output is, right? That, yeah, I think that's a good metaphor. It's, uh, again... 
awakens my, my FOMO with uh, all these bandit-based uh, models. That's definitely something we uh, <laughs> are also interested in. And this always happens to me at the, at the Rexis conference that you have the reveal workshop. And I always, you know, I kind of join there and I, I get this complete and uh, total FOMO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see. Part of the reason behind this is also to close that offline and online evaluation gap. How do you actually perform there? I would make the assumption that you don't even have such a big gap between online and offline. But I'm also having a hard time. What is actually your online goal and what is your offline goal based on historical data you are training your algorithms on? Mm-hmm. Is this hard to define for that area you are applying Rexus to, or what are your thoughts on this? That's a good question. I mean, our whole approach is very much offline. So our model is trained in big batch jobs, aggregates lots of historic data, lots of historic placements. No, I, I don't think we're very much online. So we calculate predictions when a request comes in. We generate a list of candidates. We observe feedback, but until the placement is being made, the data is not part of the model. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So there's not really an online uh, thing going on. I should also say uh, that this particular recommender system has been in production for quite a while. I think uh, over six years now, probably. Wow. This was one of the reasons that I also, during my first conversations with Randstad, I was surprised that they had this system in production <laughs> and that actually in terms of building these complex systems there, there was quite a high maturity whereas I'm, I'm quite familiar with the the Rexis community in the Netherlands and I wasn't aware that uh, Randstad was a player here as well <laughs> silently flying under the radar yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and now they got much more attention having you on board I guess <laughs> <laughs> well I mean that was also one of the reasons for me joining um, yeah I think since there was a lot of great work being done here since this matching is so central to the work Ronsta does I think it makes a lot of sense for Ronsta to have a bit of presence in our community mm-hmm. yes definitely Yeah, maybe this brings us to some side discussion uh, from which we can then jump back to talking a bit more about fairness. But I find it quite interesting that Rexus in HR was never coined so explicitly during Rexus. Of course, you explicitly saw contributions, I guess, by by LinkedIn at some former Rexus, also before 2020, I assume. There was also actually the uh, Rexus challenge uh, with a data set by Xing, Indeed. so yeah. platform that is more present in, in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. But then actually, so the first workshop of Rexus in HR was held in 2021, mm-hmm. and uh, you started your Rexus in HR journey as a co-organizer one year before. So how did that idea of having a dedicated workshop to that topic evolve? And uh, what were your initial expectations of the workshop and how did it turn out to be? I mean, it must have been to a certain degree successful because you decided to continue it. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, first of all, it was uh, very inspiring and lots of uh, fun to work with. So I think that was also one of the prime reasons to uh, continue it. 
in terms of attendees and, and submissions, I think um, for a first reading workshop, it's been quite successful as well. It actually started in the Rexis 2019 Gather Town, where I was just uh, walking around with my 2D avatar, minding my own business, while suddenly uh, appeared uh, Twan Bogers, associate professor uh, at Albrecht University of Copenhagen, came up to me virtually and he um, proposed this workshop. Um, and he at the time was working on the job match project, okay. which was a project in collaboration with Job Index, which is a Scandinavian job platform. Anyway, he was working in the context of this job platform and, and he uh, um, actually realized that there was probably some space in the Rexus community to have attention for this domain. Uh, so he proposed it and then we started writing this um, proposal together with uh, a few other people uh, and that's how it started. Okay, and then you basically teamed up and formed the initial cell for organizing that workshop that took place in 2021 for the first time. Mm -hmm. What is your summary? So now looking back to these two workshops that were actually held, what surprised you or what was it that you expected and that turned out to be, for example, uh, um, the case or mm -hmm. not the case? Well, first of all, we were hoping that we would get enough submissions we were expecting it because uh, that's also what we wrote in our proposal over the the past few years there's been quite a few publications on this topic so we thought it would make sense mm -hmm. to have a central forum for it so that that kind of uh, worked out we had eight papers accepted in the first workshop and i think 11 this year mm -hmm. another aspect that we found important while preparing or that, that we identified was that rexus in hr touches many different disciplines um, so we wanted to have space for these different disciplines within the workshop um, and we did so so last year we invited people from SME governmental organization in the Netherlands the okay. Institute for Human Rights that were also working on the role of AI in the, in the online job market in particular in the context of job discrimination of age discrimination mm -hmm. uh, gender discrimination these kind of topics and this year we invited a lawyer because uh, also law in particular, in the context of the European AI Act that is forthcoming, um, plays a bigger and bigger part in uh, also in designing recommender systems in the context of HR. So that was one of the one of the things we found important to kind of have space for these different voices, which was nice. Another thing that we uh, noticed was that, of course, in 2020, we proposed like we have to have a workshop for this because there's not really a place for it. In the meantime, there's been a few similar workshops uh, that appeared so there's the feast workshop part of ecml pkdd international workshop mm -hmm. of fair effective and sustainable talent management using data science kind of uh, overlaps in theme last year there was the comp jobs workshop at wisdom first international workshop on computational jobs marketplace so that was kind of good to see that there were more workshops in in this uh, domain I see. And are you planning to continue the Rexus and HR workshop next year? Yes, I think that's uh, that's the plan. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So so far for the for the Rexus uh, in HR workshop, and uh, just a short disclaimer there for all the people that haven't seen it already. So Rexus 2023 will actually take place in Singapore, or we all hope that it will take place there. Also, again, with the workshop of Rexus in HR. Hopefully. 
Yeah, David, uh, I guess you already um, mentioned it. Fairness in general, which aligns with ethical, responsible AI. And I mentioned it during the introduction that uh, I would refer to you also as a fighter for responsible AI. You mentioned gender imbalance and you also mentioned age, but we can think about a race or sexual orientation and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. You are dealing with humans and uh, this, what we actually do or what you do is having a major impact on people's lives there. So, of course, you can inspire people with recommending good music, creative videos or something like that. But jobs, which is also determining to a certain degree what we do in our daily life to a certain amount. So what is the role of fairness in the talent recommender? So where I try to support human decision makers with algorithms. So what is the role that fairness is playing there? Yeah, that's a great question. So fairness is an important topic in this context. We're working a lot on uh, this experimental work on, for example, using synthetic data to, to make the recommender system more fair. We've been working at implementing several methods for doing re-ranking or different methods for increasing fairness. This is all from a technical perspective, and there's, there's lots that we can do. But what is more important, I think, and, and also more complex, is this notion of responsible AI from an organizational perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And the most central question with these recommender systems is, what is fair? And I think that's a very hard question to answer. So we actually have done a small internal audit of, uh, of our talent recommender, mm -hmm. where we kind of measured the gender bias that was part of the output of the system. Now, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, the outcomes of this, it's not like a binary, yes, there's bias or no, there's no bias. It's a very nuanced picture. It really And it really goes back to the question, uh, what is fair? So you can imagine that in a certain industry, in transport, for example, the balance between mm -hmm. male and female candidates will be different than in the healthcare domain, um, mm -hmm. right? So these are also some of the things that we saw, that we saw this gender balance, age balance kind of differs per sector. It can differ per types of companies. There's many, there's many factors uh, here at play. So I think the more important question is to ask what is fair, Uh, I think that's a very hard question to answer. And while that question uh, has not been answered yet, I think the most important thing, and that's also something that I said earlier, is to understand the context of how this recommender system is used. So we feel very strongly about using technology such as recommender systems as supporting the human process, but never to replace it. And it sounds mm -hmm. simple, but that's one way to kind of reduce the risk of bias, because If there is bias, uh, then if you don't rely fully on the system, but you have alternatives to, to source your talents, then you reduce this particular risk of bias. There could be two potential sources of bias in that process of combining algorithmic recommendations with human decisions. So, of course, the algorithmic bias, but also the human bias. So is joining both necessarily reducing the bias or might there also be the risk that bias might accumulate? So, touche, uh, indeed. So, resistance <laughs> bias maybe is not the right word, uh, but that's because you're exactly right. There's 
different types of bias. So in the human decision-making mm-hmm. process, there will be human bias. In the algorithmic process, there will be uh, algorithmic bias. In the search engine, you know, there may be data bias because indeed mm-hmm. some people write their resumes uh, in different ways than others. So mm-hmm. yes, you have all these types of biases, but at least relying on all different methods at the same time, it doesn't reduce bias, but it kind of uh, <laughs> distributes the bias or kind of uh, counterbalances bias. So I think one of the big risks with these automated systems is that they become a closed feedback loop that, you know, that, that there's mm-hmm. no other way to retrieve your data, to navigate your data. So I believe in this richness of having all these alternatives and that indeed doesn't reduce the bias as a whole, but it at least changes the bias perhaps. Mm-hmm. So by incorporating the human in that loop of algorithmic recommendations and by human we mean the recruiters in specific, you are somehow breaking that loop because there are also human signals entering the decision making and not only the algorithmic signals and by that what you expect from it is that by that mixture you are reducing bias to a certain degree yeah that's i think you could summarize it like that but it's not even about mixing them but it's about having alternatives at all right so it can very well be that the recruiter doesn't touch a recommender system at all but picks up the phone or uses the search engine and those are just Mm -hmm. different ways that don't necessarily overlap the most recent paper that you were working on and that was uh, published uh, was actually the end-to-end bias mitigation and candidate recommender systems with fairness mm-hmm. gates. That was actually, I guess, paying towards a talent recommender to yep. support recruiters. Mm-hmm. So if we take this as a context, so this would mean that all the decision-making is to some more or lesser degree initially influenced by what the algorithm proposes. Mm-hmm. So then we have already a context where everything from its very start has some, let's say, algorithmic foundation. Sure. Other signals organic might enter that system from the data, mm-hmm. but not from what is, let's say, decided by the human bound to the to the system's proposals. Yeah. So how is that what you said before aligning with this? So how are we breaking a loop? No, but I think the, the comparison you're now making is if we look exclusively at the recommender system and we don't consider all the other ways of sourcing, then indeed, I mean, then we can focus on this algorithmic bias and we can come up with ways to mitigate it. And I think in this paper, uh, we well, actually Adam, that was a master student that uh, worked with us uh, during an internship, he proposed different methods of mitigating this bias. And I think this is very important technical work and I really enjoy working on it and I love the domain, but I think that's not enough in the sense that that was also the story I was saying before, you cannot ignore the context in which this recommender system operates. So you can decide with this recommender system, we can mitigate bias, it's all perfectly fine. But even then, you need to be able to rely on different signals and different signals may or should come completely out of this, outside of the system as well. But that's kind of more an aside and a more philosophical debate. But indeed, given a world in which you have this recommender system, you can also take steps into mitigating bias. And that's indeed one of the tasks that uh, that we picked up in that publication that you mentioned. Can you give us a short overview or what was kind of the new thing that you did in the paper? <laughs> uh, I mean, I have read it, but I guess it would be very nice for our listeners to know it from one of the authors uh, himself. And then maybe we can uh, go into a bit more of the, of the details of, of the publication. Sure. Yeah. So the new and amazing thing that uh, Adam, our intern, uh, did was that he actually tested uh, using two different ways of mitigating bias in a single 
end-to-end pipeline. So the idea was there's been a lot of work on uh, different uh, bias mitigation strategies, but we want to kind of see how they operate in the real world. And I say real world with uh, quote unquote, because we indeed used our talent recommender as a base, but we kind of, we did a few mm-hmm. things. One is we reduced the feature set to be more manageable for doing experimentation. And the second part is we actually uh, rebalanced all of our data to represent different scenarios. So we explicitly made very skewed and very balanced scenarios to see how the different bias mitigation strategies operated there. When talking about bias, so what specific bias did you look at and how did you measure it in that specific context? So in this context, we focused on gender bias and we um, considered gender a binary variable, so male, female, because that's what we had available in terms of data at the time. And to quantify bias, we use the demographic parity as a metric. So parity means that you inherently were striving for some kind of equal distribution between the genders. Right. So actually, indeed, you you, uh, assume that the total balance is uh, demographically fair and you quantify Mm -hmm. how much you are not completely in balance. And you mentioned that you have been applying two mitigation strategies in the paper, which was kind of the novel thingy and that this turned out to be very effective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, so we used two kind of pre-existing methods for mitigating bias. One is that we used synthetic data to um, Mm -hmm. regenerate your training data in a way uh, that allows your recommender system to learn uh, new things. Uh, so it kind of allows you to control the balance in your training data. And this actually followed from work that we did previously with another intern that kind of studied the feasibility of using static data. That's one. Mm-hmm. The second one is uh, using a re-ranking strategy. So the synthetic data generator generates training data to train your model with. Then your model generates an output. And we used a greedy re-ranking strategy based on a paper by folks at LinkedIn that uh, Mm. greedily re-ranks the output to achieve more fairness or to achieve demographic parity. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, we will make sure that we also include this and the paper by LinkedIn in the show notes. And what I found interesting uh, while reading it is that the folks from LinkedIn, uh, actually they reported within their approach to be very effective in fourfold uh, reduction in unfairness and mm-hmm. just aligned with a, I guess it was 6% uh, reduction in utility, if I recall my notes here correctly. So, and utility, I guess, somehow approximating the relevance of the results. Mm-hmm. What was kind of new in your work is that you were actually not compromising the relevance of the results at all. Was that correct? We found that using both of these mitigation strategies, we increased our fairness, but the utility remained satisfactory. I think it's similar to the results of the LinkedIn paper, actually, where you see that uh, it doesn't hurt the business metric too much, which is actually, I find this a very uh, interesting and important finding because at some point Mm -hmm. you have to realize this trade-off Right, So you can have a much more fair model, but if that really hurts your performance, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very difficult question to answer. And it's also not necessarily a question for a data scientist to answer, but this is also an organizational matter. 
And I was inspired mm-hmm. by the LinkedIn example because they show that to them, this increase in fairness was important enough to deploy it uh, in the LinkedIn recruiter product uh, worldwide. I guess this aligns pretty well with uh, what was mentioned by Christine Bauer during our interview, that common perception uh, that there necessarily needs to be a trade-off between utility and fairness is actually not the case, like we see proven by the paper from LinkedIn uh, and also by your contribution here, that you can improve one without compromising the other, or at least not without compromising it significantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you would ignore the regulatory framework, and I guess this is not as advanced as they are able to quantify what should fairness be, how should an algorithm adhere to fairness, then it's still a very easy uh, decision to make because there is basically no compromise. You can just get better on also achieving other other goals mm-hmm. that are more or less relevant to your company. Yeah. Of course, this is the best case scenario because what would happen if it wouldn't be the case then I think you should indeed have to make a decision like how important is this to you? How important is this to your business? How important is this to you as an organization? Mm-hmm. I think actually that could be a very interesting uh, conversation to have but um, it seems like LinkedIn didn't have to have it and neither did we uh, partly because this is uh, of course experimental work and it hasn't... Uh, mm-hmm left the context of this paper yet unfortunately okay but you say not yet and unfortunately so this is a path that you like to continue yeah. further work on definitely so i cannot share anything in concrete not because i uh, cannot or not i'm not allowed to be, but because there, there <laughs> is not uh, yet anything concrete. but we do know that with the upcoming european ai act this type of work will become more prominent will become more important mm-hmm so I foresee that this line of work will, will start playing a role in the real world soon enough. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you are already anticipating, well, what is coming or in front of us. So that's, I guess, great work or a great approach uh, to not only wait before the regulation hits, but to anticipate it beforehand. And I mean, I guess we are on the same page uh, that uh, the reason of doing this is not solely due to regulation or adhering to regulations, but I guess it's also for the good to consider these effects that algorithms might have and how we can anticipate anticipate them properly and then of course mitigate those uh, uh, effects. Uh? Mm-hmm. Apart from the setting of uh, fairness uh, in general, uh, what are other questions that you are concerned about? Is there also the general question, how can we do better with respect to our recommendations? How can we, for example, try to represent users and job descriptions in a richer setting? So is there also some ongoing work there? Or what is it that basically drives your daily work? I guess it's not only work on, on, on fairness, but there must be different Uh, streams of thought or work definitely yeah definitely so some of the challenges that lie ahead of us uh, and i think uh, uh, for many other people it's the same we're now working on uh, dense vector representation of our talents and vacancies Mm -hmm. so looking at sentence transformer models this type of technology we're doing lots of kind of experimental work with transformers so recently i had an intern graduate that was working on data to text generation so actually generating Mm -hmm. vacancy text based on structured inputs So one of our responsibilities as a market leader is also to kind of look at this recommendation job, uh, not necessarily as a transactional job, but also as something to help our talents. So we're now also looking into career path prediction and kind of trying to recommend someone's next step as opposed to just 
trying to recommend a job that someone is able to do. And this kind of also ties in with the current state of the world that we have this global labor shortage and we have to be more adaptive when it comes to working careers. So we would like our AI systems and recommender systems to also play a part in that. I guess that's a very cool idea. And I, again, see somehow similarities uh, when thinking about recommenders in the media sector. Like Spotify reported this in, in some of their papers that some part of what they learn from the interactions that they see might also be guiding creators, whether it's podcast creators or music uh, creators, artists, to see what people like and what might be reasonable to produce more of or similar or something like that. So mm -hmm. you also try to extend from this in a way that you say, okay, uh, maybe this might enable us to do career predictions or career advice, how to people set themselves properly up for the future. Definitely, because we also uh, recently started a big collaboration with a, a large Dutch uh, learning platform. You can also imagine that if you combine education and learning with job recommendation you can create a um, well a beautiful application that uh, that combines given that you're currently pursuing this job if you add these skills then uh, you'll be suitable to take a step up so that's something that we're also trying to look at like how can we combine these different sources into this recommendation problem Of course, I mean, mm -hmm. this is partly trying to align the daily work we do with the strategic goals we have at Randstad. So this is more the, the mid to long term work that we're doing. But it's definitely the direction that we're that we're interested in. We're already working with uh, with interns. This is always how it starts. But with interns, <laughs> we've had several projects working on career path prediction and trying to mm -hmm. figure out how we can learn to recommend next jobs as opposed to just uh, the current job you have. Nice work. So um, I guess we can look forward to see more from you and from Randstad in that space, uh, maybe further iterations on talent recommenders, but maybe also more about proper career advice, which might also fall into the domain of, of recommender systems, or at least it uh, will. And so, so yeah, look, looking forward to that work. And I mean, it's, it's good to know that for that purpose, that you are planning to continue work around the Rexus HR workshop. Definitely. So yeah, uh, David, I guess that was a, a great coverage on uh, Rexus in HR so far. As always, uh, when we are approaching uh, the end of the episode, there are a couple of questions where I would definitely be interested in uh, what your perception is. So, um, I mean, we have talked about uh, lots of challenges that are tied to, I would say, the specific domain here. What challenges do you think are there in general for the field of recommender systems? Well, that's a very big question. I think actually this uh, problem of uh, bias and fairness that uh, applies to uh, probably any other domain as well. Algorithmically, I'm not uh, as uh, up to date anymore, uh, but I, I know, I mean, there's still all of these open standing problems. The discrepancy between your uh, offline and online evaluation, I think this is one that's been chasing me uh, all my career from news recommendation to, to this context. Um, I think what we've seen happening now, and again, mostly through work with interns, is the changes that these transformer models bring. And they, they really seem to perform very well in different contexts and, and really make some of the tried and tested methods that we have obsolete. So I, I foresee that's also a development that uh, will have a big impact on the Rex's future. 
there were quite some papers uh, also again around bird for rec this year and now with uh, the great advancement in diffusion models uh, they might also become another interesting field to combine with recommender systems so let's Definitely. let's let's see i mean we have seen that sometimes in the rexus field that stuff coming from other let's say application demands got applied uh, one or two years later to to certain recommender problems so well, I guess that's going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> when thinking about other products, and I'm not letting you answer with product you love the most are the products of Runstat, so you <laughs> need to pick one from another provider, uh, which does not necessarily need to be from the HR space, but um, what kind of personalized product is it that excites you the most? It is uh, an easy, an easy uh, question. <laughs> it is definitely Spotify for me, because I, I mean, I still discover so much new music through Spotify. Uh, it's incredible. I, I listen to a lot of uh, hip hop, and I have a lot of friends who kind of firmly believe that you know uh, that after the nineties, there's no more good rap music, and <laughs> I can I can prove them wrong because uh, my release radar. It's so tailored to, to my to my tastes. I, I keep on discovering new, obscure artists. So I'm very very thankful for the <laughs> recommender systems work that's being done at Spotify. <laughs> yeah, thinking about potential future guests, what would be the person that you would like to have on this show? I want to have Martijn Willems on the show. There's may maybe a geographic uh, bias here, which is not good. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Martijn uh, always brings a very interesting and important perspective i think much of his work is really great so uh yeah plus one vote for my time okay i will take a note there thanks for that david it was a real good uh, tour de horizon uh, with you and uh, i really enjoyed it uh, to have this new perspective on this show and uh, this is kind of the effort that i tried to make to get more different voices for different areas here in this show so um thanks for your contribution well thank you very much for having me i mean i really enjoyed it uh, and i love your show thanks <laughs> that's that's nice to nice to hear i have been observing your background and of course the <laughs> listeners don't see it because this is audio only uh, but david is actually sitting in front of a white board and there are people with certain <laughs> costumes on there and for me it looks a bit like the fashion amnest data set just printed out <laughs> can you tell me what it is <laughs> i cannot i cannot i don't know what this what it is but uh, there's many uh, small people it looks like there's an audience uh, behind my back but uh, I, I don't know the story behind it these are the different uh, representations of our talents perhaps okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know okay so so maybe uh, something that you you can think about next week as well or uh, explore i should learn uh, where these pictures come from yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it really reminds me of the Fashion Amnesty data set, but uh, uh, yeah, just as a side I note. Can imagine. <laughs> because also there's like uh, one person that has different outfits, right? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you were right. Hmm. I don't know. But uh, it looks interesting. Yeah, it yeah. looks interesting. It uh, piqued my interest. <laughs> so, David, again, thanks for having you on the show and uh, have a great weekend and talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye.
Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Experts, the podcast that brings you the experts in recommender systems. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast player and please share it with anybody you think might benefit from it. Please also leave a review on Podchaser. And last but not least, if you have questions, a recommendation for an interesting expert you want to have in my show, or any other suggestions, drop me a message on Twitter or send me an email to marcel at rexperts.com. Thank you again for listening and sharing, and make sure not to miss the next episode, because people who listen to this also listen to the next episode. See you, goodbye.